I sat down with Ryan Tanson today. Ryan is someone who has a particularly interesting story and someone who is making waves when it comes to how to really think about what it is you want to do in life and in business and how those two don't have to be mutually exclusive. So he's the co-founder and president of Arcona, a business geared towards helping entrepreneurs actually live out the reality they want to create for themselves. And he's also the owner of a podcast called Intentional Growth, where he's had over 250 episodes and spoken with some incredible guests. Today's episode is absolutely jam-packed and it's a little longer, but I can tell you what, I cannot wait to get him on a second time because just the sheer insights that I garnered sitting with him for an hour has changed the way I look at how I'm building businesses. I hope you guys get the value out of it that I did. Hi, and welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I interview now successful professionals about their journey and try and garner insights onto any tips that can be applied to your business at home whether it's financial freedom or the exit of your company, wherever your journey may take you, the idea here is to simply learn from those who have done it before. I hope you enjoy and you get some value out of this. Buckle up and enjoy the episode. All right, after a very, very long intro, Ryan, it's an absolute pleasure to finally record and uh, and actually get into this, get to the meat of it. How you doing, mate? Doing good, Yanni, this is awesome. I'm, I'm super pumped. Yeah, and I'm, I'm super grateful to have you on an episode of Successful Scales. I mean, we just gelled so well over the first few times we had a chat and it just made a whole lot of sense. And I mean, you've got a super interesting story before I sort of jump into it and get to the value and the questions and all the things that are running through my mind with what I know about you. I'd love you to tell everyone who is listening a little bit about yourself, just to sort of lay the foundation, give us some context. So I will absolutely do that. And I don't know, based on your listeners, you're, you're a real dude, man. And I enjoy it so much. So I'll say that I'm in my mid thirties. I've got twin girls that are four and a half and us talking about the business stuff is going to be easy compared to raising twin girls. Um, and so uh, the going back to the actual uh, story of the family business, my dad started it when I was uh, like 10. And when it, the family business, he started it, he bought a quarter million dollars of copiers use Panasonic and uh, 30 day terms and sold them all in 30 days. And fast forward, we, uh, I worked in a business my whole life. And when I started full-time uh, right as the market crashed in 09, um, we hit 21 million in revenue, 115 employees at three locations, copiers, and then also the service behind it. I started, my dad had ran it. Um, he had a GM in place. And so for about five, six years, it was a lifestyle business because it was self-running. When I say lifestyle, we can get into that, but essentially it was kicking off cash. He was fine. He was dealing with a bunch of personal stuff. So when I started, I, I started in sales and essentially, Yanni, we lost a bunch of money that year for just like a lot of people did. And we spent the next five and a half, six years turning the business around. So I built out, um, I fired half the employees by the time I was like 25 and rebuilt uh, the new ones. And this was a team effort with my dad and I. And, New, uh, new ERP system, sold a couple of the branches for cash, and then also built out the managed IT services, the document management, rebranded to be the business-to-business technology player we need, knew we needed to be, turned the whole business around. And, and here's kind of the, the root of like the mission that I'm on is that we were sitting there and we had these, we started getting into these challenging debates of like, what do we do with this business? My dad never wanted to get back in, never got passionate about it again. And I loved it. It was kind of my baby. I was uh, running the business. So all the executives were reporting to me. My dad was still the, uh, you know, chairman, CEO, however you want to call it. And he wanted to pull more money out of the business. I wanted to reinvest. We'd already reinvested a couple million at that point in the managed IT. And he's like, I'm never going to get this back. I want out. I don't like the business as much as I used to. Just different visions. And we met with all these advisors, investment bankers, CPAs, attorneys, bankers, you name it. And no one could really sit us down and say, Corey, Ryan, here's what you want. Let's reverse engineer into the plan. And so what we felt, and this is the emotional side of this, is that you feel trapped and entrepreneurs who can generally do whatever they want and work on whatever they want, potentially and often make really drastic decisions to get out of that feeling. So we sold the business. It's a drastic decision, but we couldn't figure out how to make progress towards this vision that we each had. So we did what we, what we knew and given the lack of education, given whatever education we had, and we sold the business, sold it to a competitor, 
the nature of the strategic sale that we uh, that we um, went down was it was a complementary business that was a local competitor. So we gutted the business, fired two thirds of the employees. They took it was a primary the asset that they were buying was the customers and the ability to cross sell, eliminate a competitor. So they got the value that they wanted to, and I don't ever blame them. I used to, but I don't because that was the nature of the deal. I just didn't know that was going to be the result. So sitting there, I lasted 60 days in the company, and that was in 2014, and paid a bunch of taxes, a bunch of debt off, which you have to do. And I went, what in the hell was that? I really wish I would have known how this whole thing works, so that way I could have had more control over my situation. So Fast forward seven years, I consulted for a while, built up the podcast to have as a sandbox to learn and meet great people, which you and I talked about 250 episodes in now, and built this training. Essentially, Yanni, it was like, if we would have understood how valuations and exits and strategic planning and financials and all the stuff we can talk about, how how the game worked, we could have reverse engineered into our plan because all we really wanted to do was create wealth enjoy work and make an impact. And then we all, I think every entrepreneur has this vision of what they want for the business in their life. And their lack of progress is probably the, the eats at their soul and they don't know where they're going. So we need to be able to spend the time and money and energy in the right places that get us closer, but we have to articulate where the hell are we going and why? And do we have something that's actually a vehicle, which is the business that's gonna get us there? Or are we just waking up hustling our butts off and hoping that the vision somehow miraculously comes into comes into into like clarity? Mate, I have to say, I have just written down the most number of notes that I've ever written down on an opening section of someone talking about their experience and where they're at. Um, wow. Um, what what an interesting journey, what an interesting challenge, what um, a way to sort of leverage what you know at a young age you've gone through so many more things and you know i would say most people do in their careers someone told me a crazy stat and i no one hold me to this i don't know if it's true but it's it's un, it's un, check un, notes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're not at that level we've got fact checkers yeah, yeah. But, but but i heard that it, only about five percent of the population are business owners and so you know when i say not a lot of people have gone through that experience it's that you have to go through that experience to come into you know, a, a family run business, which I find super interesting to see how you, and I think uh, your father's name, Corey, if I, if I'm, yeah, if I heard that correctly. So, so yeah. So, you know, like what that dynamic was like and a whole lot of things, but mate, um, incredible. So you didn't name your podcast. You said 250 episodes, but I think going through 250 episodes and especially the topics you cover just for those listening at home, tell us a little bit about a little bit more about the podcast. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And it's funny that you actually mentioned that because I, I don't bring it up very much because it's just a side thing because we don't monetize it. It's a way that it started off as this intellectual journey. And so it's kind of a big deal. And I don't really think about it as a big deal every until it kind of gets brought up. So it's called Intentional Growth. Um, it was renamed. It used to be called Life After Business. And then I realized that no one wants to exit because they have essentially are trapped. <laughs> so like, I was like, okay, well, let's talk about intentional growth, which is about understanding how to grow value with the end in mind. And, you know, it's been every week uh, since 2016 or something like that. And, you know, I think it's close to 400,000 downloads and people like Gina Wickman, editor of Inc. Magazine, John Warlow, I mean, Jack Stack. I mean, just anybody that I think could help piece together this big black hole of like, what is it that we're all marching towards? Cause it's like getting, you know, every, the blind leading the blind following towards, you know, seed round, A, B, C, D round, you know, all to raise money in Silicon Valley. That's not everybody. So like, what is the the spectrum of entrepreneurship and what does that look like? And um, yeah, man, it's been a blast. Like just getting to know people and having these kind of discussions has just been a, a lot of fun and then trying to make sense of it. Right. Cause like having, I, I'm a big, proponent frameworks because like if i can understand like hey here's the picture of the puzzle and here's the border i can solve or hire and help people get the pieces together but most people these topics just float out there and they're like how does like this relate to that like this valuation or this exit relate to what i'm doing today and i think that's this big challenge of like trying to make the stuff that people listen to on these shows actionable to their own situation 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, when I hear you sort of express why you went down that journey and why you started it, my logic, my reasons were almost the same as well, why I created it to, to learn and to connect with people who are doing really interesting things. And, you know, I'm far, far uh, earlier down that track. This is probably my, I don't know, nearly 40th maybe episode that I've recorded, something in that vicinity uh, over the last four months. And, you know, it's been a, a very interesting. Way more than most, man. I, my, my podcast hosting company said that only 5% of podcasts make it over nine episodes. So. Hey, what percent? Yeah. Like it was like only 5%. It's just like a blog. Like someone wants to like get rich quick and they got something to say, they plug in a USB mic and zoom and there you go. You got a show. <laughs> so yeah. Like, hold, keep on it, man. Like the, the long tail, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing. Well, you talk, I mean, you talked about frameworks and I want to dig into that. And you also mentioned Gino Wickman, the last person that I was fortunate to interview wasn't Gino. I'll get him one day, uh, but his, his successor or he, yeah, his successor, uh, Mike Payton. Payton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Legend. Nice. Um, was a great. He's a, he's a Minnesota guy, man. Yeah. Right on the road. Yeah. Yeah. He is too. Um, and yeah, he was Great. I mean, you know, we can talk, I'm sure we could do a whole session on EOS and traction and the value that that brings as a fundamental to the business, but I want to dive in more. So do you, um, just knowing how many questions I have here and, um, you know, you stepped into a business, you're in your late teens, if I'm not mistaken, when you, when you joined 22, 22, so you're 22, my mistake. And, and you come into the family run business granted it's already a large operation at that time and it's been running for a long time but i mean what's the and also for context as well so my dad has been serving as our sort of let's call him our fractional cfo and <laughs> and he's brilliant he's built four or five businesses and exited and you know he's you know he he, he is the classic entrepreneur and um, and the advice he always used to give me is actually go and work for someone, learn on someone else's dollar. He actually never really pushed me in the direction of hmm. entrepreneurship and working for myself. And, you know, I think it was great advice, but I told my co-founder Lippy, listen, he's going to be a great resource. I will not fucking work with him. I you cannot, <laughs> cannot put me with him. He's, he's, he's brilliant. I love him to death. And we have a great conversations and I, you know, I'll ask him questions and he brings a lot of value, but I couldn't work with him. He would just drive me up the wall. So I'm curious as someone who successfully worked with their father, what was that like? Uh, pretty much about what you just described. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's everything that any story that someone can think of right now has probably been played out in the relationship my dad and I had uh, going through that. Um, the one thing I would say is that my desire and his desire to keep a friendship um, alive and that, and we have a, you know, we have a unique and um, it's more friendship than the, the whole father. I call him father. He calls me son. Like that kind of dissipated when I jumped right into the shit storm of the business. And it was like, Hey, we want this to work. We want to be friends. Let's do everything necessary to make it all work. And so that was a weird situation to overcome because you're moving in and out of different roles so often. And that this is going to potentially lend uh, some insight into a uh, later concept that we can talk about, about ownership roles versus management roles, um, which is, I think is one of the most fun, uh, fundamental ones that people, if they understood it could change their relationship with their business and their partners. But like, yeah, and we'd, we'd sit down and like, so I'm like, okay, what hat are we wearing? And we get, we essentially, I tried to quit multiple times, like major fights, but then like major like ups and downs. So like, it's all that. And like, it was never worth blowing up because we both needed each other. The business, I had some very instrumental parts of the business. I mean, obviously I couldn't kick him out and buy him out. So like, he was just like, we're here together. We've got to make this work because this business, this shared asset is providing for both of us, our careers, our money, and it's worth a lot of money. So we we think so anyways trying to figure that out i think if the end result is so important you'll go through all the shit to get there but what happened was what was instrumental one consultant at one point said okay guys your friends your father's son your boss employee your partnerships your mentor mentee both ways because my dad learned i mean it just like there's like six or seven roles going on here let's just start by each of you when you say something say what hat you're wearing 
So like that way, if you think about it, like, cause I, I love to read and learn and all this stuff. And my dad is not as much of that at camp. I, I consume the digital content of today's world. And when I would go say, so you got to learn this, we got to do this. And like, if an employee is telling your boss that it sounds patronizing or, you know, uh, disrespectful. So like, it was this weird way to navigate roles. And then there was this whole different, like, once you get that figured out, how do you figure out what the vision is for the business and what the cash is needed? And then how do you align all that stuff? So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get that alignment. I, I, I can imagine. And actually a lot of my notes uh, are, are about that too. Um, you know, I was really thinking through and, you know, you, you said that you guys went through a rate, a rebranding and you sort of went through that shift. I mean, you know, coming in firstly, 2008, 2009, you know, the stock market crash, everything's turned to shit. Um, you know, to have to also take on, it looked like you're also in a sales function. I mean, that in itself is like, it's literally, you couldn't ask for anything worse, uh, realistically. The only silver lining, it's probably the best silver lining of that, Yanni, is that I was so naive at 22. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. So I jumped in as a, as a salesperson in the bullpen next to 22 other people. And I have two choices. Do I work twice as hard as everybody else? To so I can at least be proven that I'm not some young prick that's an entitled a-hole that's the owner's son, or I could just fall in line in that role and just do nothing and be the a-hole owner's son who does nothing. And I like I just like I'm gonna work twice as hard. And so and I didn't really know what was going on in the in the marketplace. And so it was 400 phone calls, 15 appointments, five proposals, three net news, 50 grand in sales every month. That's the copy business. Wow. Man. So like. If you like sales is super easy to hire and fire for because you either hit your numbers or you're fired. Yeah. Like, so it was an easy role to at least be measured by in the business. And so I just went right into it. And, but it's after that, to your point, when the bit, when I started getting opinions about like how the business should operate again, he's not involved. Right. So I'm calling him in and out of like the meetings or like before or after work kind of relaying how things are going. And I'm just like, well, this is potentially mine at some point. I want it to be better. And so then it was like this, how do we, del- how do we balance the, my desire to make it better without offending him about the current state? So uh, one thing I wanted you to sort of point out, and then I want to, I want to say how you sort of navigated that because you said that um, it was a lifestyle business at the time with your father in it. And I think that's a really important, um, especially knowing your experience and what you're doing now with intentional growth and how you're helping businesses make better decisions how do you define a lifestyle business and what are the other options to other businesses that that might exist super good question and i think that and it's taken me a long time and a lot like all the interviews and all the things i've been doing to come up with like the root problem and i think it's how the business owner or entrepreneur views their company and this, so, and the reason I started it like that, because people usually are looking for, is it a million dollar business or a $50 million business or a round or B round of raise? You know, I'm like, no, no, it's how they view their, how they view this business. So if it's a lifestyle business, it's super noticeable for me because the owner, and I'm going to call owner because the owner and entrepreneur and founder can all be kind of intertwined, but like, this is a financial asset that's, that's generating cash flow, right? So I don't really like work with, I mean, I've got people that have come through this that are raising money, but if you raise money from a venture capitalist, like you have to sell that to give their other money back at some point, And you pretty much are being told what to do, whether you say it or not, you got a board, you got investors. So let's park that over here. And these are founders that bootstrapped it, that got, you know, whatever money they can from their family, friends. So a lifestyle business is one where the owner is trying to optimize for annual income. What is my salary? How do I max out my perks and max out my distributions to have the most awesome time ever? And then kind of balance that with freedom. And most people get this really wrong because they try and they try and suck all the money out without reinvesting while also having freedom. And that doesn't usually work. So I got, I got examples, Yanni, where it's a, hundred million dollar business and doing 10 million in EBITDA and they're taking all the money out to buy ranches and yachts and all this stuff, not realizing that that company is a financial asset and you need to reinvest into your people, your processes, your systems to maintain and grow the value of that company asset over time. So if you have to, 
to, to finish that thought is if you go all the way down to half a million in EBITDA or cash flow, net income, I don't know people's financial um, acumen here, but like cash flow. So if it's a half a million, if it's between hiring that GM for 120 grand when you can barely afford it or getting that cabin or second house or a car, you're, you're, you've conflated this financial asset versus like, what is your lifestyle? And so the second part of that concept, and I think these are the sort of annual income versus long-term value creation. The second one is ownership role versus your management role. Pay yourself market rate for what you do. If you're a salesperson, if you're an engineer, if you're an SEO expert, like you can hire those skills out. You're not God's greatest gift to this planet. I can guarantee you that. A lot of people think that they are, but guess what? Private equity firms replace people all day long for a paycheck. So there is something that you do in that job or in that business, that's a job that you get paid for. And it might be spread out a bunch of different departments. So you have 100% of your time, a quarter might be sales, a quarter might be admin, a quarter might be service, but like figure that out. And then you don't, you normalize, we're going to get too, I don't want to get too far down, but you have this cash that comes from your paycheck. And if your lifestyle creeps in the need to make those distributions, you've creeped into the reserves of your financial asset. So by shifting your mindset towards away from annual income towards long-term value growth, essentially you're saying, if I've got a million dollars in cash flow, let's say you got 300 grand in taxes, you got 700 left. What are you going to do with it? You might want to pull 300 out for your lifestyle. Fine. Don't make sure your lifestyle is needed for that. And if you're going to put 400 grand back in, it better well grow the value of your company. Otherwise, don't put it back in. Don't do it because your employee, flashy object, or you went to a conference and someone said you need to do something. Like, just like a real estate investor would say, I'm going to do these things. It's going to grow the value of the real estate this much. Have that level of discipline and awareness. So that way, like when you sit down and you go, I got 700 grand, what should I do with it? It's just like you're, it's kind of this framework, Gandhi, to be able to like say, like, how am I making these decisions and how is that going to impact what I want? tomorrow or next year yeah i mean i'm i'm literally i'm sitting here listening to you and a lot of these concepts that you're running over right now it's it's new to me in ways so i'm doing this course um called exit dna mac lackey i don't know if we talked about him last time but mac lackey he's incredible guy has had six exits um you know he's an angel investor to 75 plus companies he's just released a book actually today um all about nice. all about this whole process anyway um until i started going through this course um i never even considered why the, why am i even doing what i'm doing you know it was always sort of i think i've probably followed the classic founders uh, situation and even to our evolution as a business is i saw a gap in the market i knew that we could build it bit better because i went down every single potential sales funnel i could find and just said They've all done it wrong or it could be improved or this one's good, but I take a bit of that and, you know, solve the problem. And then we built the second business and that solves with an even bigger problem. But then, you know, what is the, what is the end game here? Like, are we trying to build a cash flow business where we say, right, we're just going to keep running these. They're going to run in perpetuity. We're going to keep growing them. We keep reinvesting. And, you know, I'm going to take a great salary eventually and everything's great. Or am I building it for exit value? Am I trying to have a liquidity event? Am I trying to say, you know what, I'm going to reinvest everything. I'm going to absolutely ram the growth up there. I'm going to look for the right prospective buyers that might exist in other markets. And, you know, it's a strategic play for them. Do I split the business? So just, you know, just, about it. yeah. So I'm saying just you expressing that and going through that consideration, it's, it's, it's in your head now of, well, am I making a calculated decision what are my options? I didn't even know my options, honestly, six months ago. I was still sort of building for the sake of building. So yeah, I mean, I'm already uh, excited to keep digging into. I've listened to a bunch of the episodes, but but also, you know, I'm familiar a little bit with what you're doing right now. And, you know, it feels like a very, um, a very, I was going to use the word synergy and that is just an awful word to use. So it just felt like, it feels like a good Innovation fit. Innovation and yeah. synergy. Yeah. <laughs> Do it now. Um, well, but- I think it, 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 just to, to pull on the string there, because like we, the word exit freaks people out. And here's my 
assessment on why, and I hope that my opinion can change over time, <laughs> um, is people, 99% of people can't afford to sell their company because of their lifestyle. I got a client right now that's trying to sell his business for about 50 million and he can't afford to because he's got a million dollar lifestyle. So like, what do you do about that? Like, and so what happens is people, they freak out because they think they have to sell it on the seller's note to their manager for like drama, carry all the risk, the cash flow pay. It just makes no sense. Or sell your soul, pull the ripcord, they gut the business of my whole story. And there's like a thousand and almost an infinite amount of like options and ways you can structure it depending on what's important to you. And so like this word exit, I hate, and there's this whole exit planning industry. I was the first person in Minnesota to get my certification or second or something like that. And like, I, I just, I get so frustrated because like, what does it even mean? Is it like an advanced estate plan or tax plan or wealth management plan that has nothing to do with the damn business? So you know who has the best exit plans is private equity firms because they buy the damn company. They go, here's what it's worth today. In seven years, it's going to be worth three times as much. We're going to do these things over the next seven years. The problem with the PE industry is that they do really bad things. Potentially, a lot of them get stuck doing bad things because they're optimizing from some fictitious investor timeline instead of the entire long term of growing value. So like I, this whole word exit, I just... I know you've mentioned the exit DNA course. I just want to be cautious for anybody that gets freaked out. I sit on calls all day long, Yanni, with people that are 50 to 70 years old that have multiple multi-million dollar businesses and they're totally trapped, totally trapped. And they wake up and they're going, I really didn't think I'd be in this position after working my ass off for 30 years. And you're going, yeah, it's a bummer because you just put your head in the sand like an ostrich and you just woke up and go, oh, hopefully someone's going to pay top dollar for this pile of you know what that I sucked every dollar out of for 20 years. And you're just like, it's your fault. You know, I wish you would have known that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm, you know, at this stage in the, my career, at least going through it. And, you know, the podcast definitely serves as a means to get to that, you know, that education. Um, question, though, you, you, you sort of bring up a really interesting point there is that you know for those who are at whatever stage let's say 60 70 years old they're at that point where they've you know sucked the damn thing dry and you know they they haven't built this growth plan is the challenge there around their decisions really like i haven't built an exit strategy and as a result like you know what are the challenges that they're actually facing um mm -hmm. Good what, what are they what are these key challenges so there, I'll quickly brush up. I, so our framework, we've got five principles. The first, the first one is called your drivers. What do you want from this business and why? Just truly articulate. Is it a lifestyle? Is it a disrupting industry? Is it hanging out with your friends? Is it a charitable impact or whatever it is? Second principle is your financial targets. There are three of them. Your ideal annual income, your target net worth outside of the business, and then the value of the business net after taxes if you were to sell it today. So you can track that. So there are, there are three targets there. And the third principle is exit options. And there are five big buckets that we uh, bucket them into. Each one of those will impact your timing, your role post-closing, how much money you get up front versus over time and how it's valued. So understanding the first and second principles in order to view your exit options is extremely important. Otherwise, how the hell are you going to make a decision? So then once you round that corner, you get the principle of four, which is increased value, which is de-risking your cash flow, growing the enterprise value of the business in light of which exit option is right for you inside of your timeline of your target valuation with what you want. Then you, the fifth principle is you hire your team of advisors. So that way you can sit down and you can say, hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Tax, tax person, estate planning, banking, financing, legal like consultants, anybody that you can look at to help you accomplish what you're trying to go. Now they're not trying to guess what you want, which is what we dealt with. And I see people every single time. So I think it's that understanding of like, Hey, here's what I want. And then just reverse back into that plan. And I'm losing the thought of what the original question is like, how to, well, do you know what I, I, I was asking? I was asking the question about what the problem is. What are, what's the oh, problem they find themselves, but, but actually forget that question for a second, because I think what, um, you know, you've named a few of, I don't think you've named all five of the um, principles around your framework. You've named a couple, if I'm not mistaken here. And I think that- Your drivers, your drivers, 
financial targets, exit options, increased value, team of advisors. So, so those are your five, um, you know, uh, principles around your framework and how it operates. And I think for a lot of people that will be listening to this, um, and I think that a, a really interesting thing that we've actually spoken about beforehand is that, you know, I'm playing personally pretty heavily in the e-commerce space. And there is this absolute enormous push right now. VCs enter the market, PE, private equity is coming in strong now as well, or starting to, it's, it's no more chatter anymore. It's actually happening. And for a lot of people who are owning Amazon businesses and people that would be listening to this right now is that how the, it's almost created a new asset class as an Amazon business an FBA filmed by Amazon business is a new asset class and how they're selling them is depending on how good your broker is or the relationship you have with the VC or how good your negotiation skills are. You know, you'll see, you'll see a, um, you'll see effectively a, a return of either a, a three, four, five, you know, up to let's say a nine times multiple if you're really, really good and you're talking bigger deals and you're going to strategics and PE, not just VC, but VC, you're probably looking at 2.5 to probably at the higher end five at the moment. Um, I think that people are very, very caught up in that consideration and that everyone's buying, they're all racing to it. But I think a lot of people fail to ask the question as to, well, why? Why am I, why am I, why am I selling this? Why did I build the business in the first place? And, and I think, you know, to dive a little bit deeper into your framework, it answers a lot of these questions. So for anyone listening and going through it and, and being approached every single day, literally in their inbox, in their LinkedIn, in their everything. I mean, you know, it's a great problem to have, right? I'd love everyone just hitting me, hit me up if you're trying to buy a business. No, but, um, but seriously though, so true though, what, I mean, what's your advice to them? based on your framework. I, in the, yeah, it's, I appreciate the question. I think this will tie back to the original question I didn't answer is like, what the hell do you want and why? And how can you, act, how are you, how are you making these decisions? Like the amount of people that don't know the difference between enterprise equity and net proceeds of a value of a company. I'm like, well, if you don't even know that and you're going to go sell your company for a couple million bucks, like, doesn't that scare you? <laughs> like, like, our business was doing 20 million in revenue that does. And you know how many people go, Oh, I bet you the Tansom sold that for 40 million. I'm like, Oh my God, are you out of your mind? You take a multiple of EBITDA, you pay your taxes, you pay your debt and you're left with whatever the, I call it the Plinko, you know, they call it waterfall. It's like you get what's left. Yeah. And then you go, well, shit, I don't have enough money to live my lifestyle anymore. Bummer. Or you find it out at the deal table and then you pull the plug. So you spent couple hundred grand and advisors and distractions and all this shit. And then all of a sudden you're like, I can't afford to sell this amount of people that figure that out at the deal table is shocking. And if you just look at the numbers of sides of companies and how they're valued, 99% of these people can't afford to sell and maintain their lifestyle because they didn't save enough money outside the business. So essentially they're going, okay, if I got a quarter million dollar lifestyle, it's like making 20 grand a month. Okay. You need 5 million in the market with a 4% return to never touch a principal. That's just a basic, that's the baseline. Okay. In order to, did you save a million bucks out? Okay. Well, now you need to net four. If you save 2 million, now you need to net three. And these are just some basic like decision trees. And you go like, people don't figure this out until they've spent all the money. They're just racing towards that because they want someone to eliminate their stress and headaches. And it's like, okay, well, someone's willing to pay you a lot of money for this. Do you ever think about looking at your business differently and going, okay, well, cause it, it's okay to say, I'm not willing, I'm not able to take it to the next level or I'm not able to reinvest. But like last week we were sitting down and I'm going to get back to the e-commerce. Cause I could, we can talk specifics about like the Thrasio and all these people that are rolling all these companies up, but like sitting down with a client last week and she, she wants to go from 10 million to $15 million revenue business, 1.2 in EBITDA to 2 million. $5 million valuation to 12. So she can go from netting 3 million to netting nine. Very specific numbers tied to this. Okay. Then you go, okay. If you build out her financials and the plan for the, her business financials and the strategic plan for the next four years, how is she going to get there? Well, okay. Well, we need to hire five more salespeople. They need to hit this kind of quota. They need to do this. It's going to take this kind of working capital. And we're going to actually invest to get, to grow the EBITDA, to grow the multiple by de-risking the company. And she goes, Holy shit, I need to grow at 30% year over year and I've only grown at 10% year over year. That's going to cost more money. I'm going to run out of cash in year two. I don't want to do that. I'd rather just collect my 900 grand in distributions over the next year and not do that. And then I'm okay selling for less. 
<laughs> like, but, but you that's... just saved yourself four years of horrible nightmares, like just by seeing that. And, you know, and that is just something that people really, unless, unless you've been through it, unless this is your expertise, unless you've sold businesses before, unless you've come with an intentional framework that is around growth, you, you know, you're not seeing these things. I mean, even again, I'm, I'm three weeks into this course and it's totally changed my perspective of my why, why am I doing all that I'm doing? What's the, what is, it's not even, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if we spoke about the infinite game and a few of those other. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Conscious capitalism, infinite game. And so, you know, there is no end game realistically, but at least, you know, I'll speak for myself as well. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And as a result, you know, we've got over a hundred employees now in the business and, you know, the, the demands are different in terms of the expectation and I want to keep growing. I want to keep creating jobs. And so, you know, it's, it's, how do I remove myself from the business, but then you get dragged back in. And before you know, it, you're like, you've kind of lost control of the plan that you never had in the first place. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best statement ever yeah it's so true and like and you know what's interesting but because I, I like how you worded that yanni but i'll say that like most entrepreneurs that start their business they know everything about it and they're really good at the business they know the market they know their competition they know where their product pricing fit or their service offering or like, they're really good at it and it's really I did this podcast episode with this woman who's got a PhD and she studied business owners like this. And there's a, there's a direct correlation towards two xing the value of your business and letting go of control. And the only way to do this, and I'll, I'll tell you a good story is I got, so when you don't have a plan and what, what, what consists of a plan? And this is where, this is my definition is you have your income statement, your balance sheet and your cash flow statement projected out in the ground up, like in detail for 12 months, but then it's and more high level for years two through five integrated with the value of the business. So you can literally, I can see what are my distributions for the next five years? What are my taxes? What's the value of my business lined up? I got a trailing 12 months. So I can actually like 360 degrees, see the whole business and the financials show the, just what all financials are is telling a story of what's actually going on. Just no one does them because they just use them as like, oh, what's my income saving? Do I have cash in the bank? Let's just run and hope things work out. <laughs> and so like the next question, once you get the financials, you go, okay, am I confident that I'm going to hit those revenue numbers and those margin numbers? Well, if, I, if I'm not, it's usually because I don't have a good strategic plan of right customers, right products, right markets, right pricing, all those things. Because if you, like, I've got a customer right now, or they've got two different types of customers. If they doubled their customer or their company in one, they would go broke because it's high volume, high staffing, low margin. The other one is white glove consulting. I'm like, well, which one are you going to do? Like, I mean, those, so my point is, is like, <laughs> you know, project that out. You're going like, that's my plan. And so to loop it back to what you're saying, Yanni, is that there's no way any entrepreneur is going to be comfortable going on a vacation for a month if they don't have a plan like that, because they're always going to get called back in because they're the only person that knows what's going on, regardless of the size of the company. I got people that have $50 million businesses. And I, this guy said, it's like a submarine. This guy was in the Navy. He's like, I could put my hand in the bottom of the sub and I could feel how well it was working. But every once in a while, clunk, clunk. And I knew what was wrong, but no one else did. <laughs> I was just like, so you're going to always want to panic sell when you're tired and exhausted if you don't even have that plan for yourself. And it's the same thing that's going to discount the value of your company when you go to sell. So it's like this whole, like the best thing for you and the business is to build a plan that creates more value, gives you more options, allows you to walk away, allows you also to go on vacation. So like, I don't know. The only reason I can come across is that people, why people don't do this is they don't have the ability to reinvest because their lifestyle has creeped into their business or they don't know how. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here as well and I'm listening to the fact that you've just literally effectively outlined like one of our issues in the, not, not one of our issues, but that exact, I don't know if I'd call it a problem, but one of our businesses, our staffing business, multiply me, it's high volume, low margin, you know, have to keep growing and bring more people on. And we hit that sort of critical mass and that becomes a 
you know, a, a profitable business and great, but we have to keep finding the right customers and growing it in the right way. The other is, you know, we've got a team of nearly 25 management consultants. It's, you know, white <laughs> glove, you know, so, you know, and so we're making really good different margins, I'm assuming, right? Very so now, different margins. So now let's break that. Let's just, just for entertain me first. Let's do it. So let's let's say, do it. This is what I'm here to do, man. I want to learn. Let's say it's 5 million. Let's say it's 5 million. You want to get to 10 million. Let's say half of your business is the staffing. Half the business is the white glove. So you say, okay, well, I want to go from five to 10. Is it the direct ratio? And you go, okay, well, let's say the staffing's 10% margins and the white glove is 50% margins. You mm-hmm. go, okay, well, what we really care about is net income, the normal EBITDA, normalized EBITDA, and the multiple of that. So like, that's what we care about. So everybody's always solving for top line revenue. And it's like, well, if we were to project out from five to 10 million, and let's say that staffing, and you didn't intentionally say, here's the dollar amounts, you know, if it's 5 million this year, 6 million, 7, 10, whatever that is, what's the makeup of it? What's the margin? And what's it going to cost to deliver those services at that margin? If you don't think through that, you're always going to be wondering, should we hire two recruiters inside to be generating the staffing that's going to then deliver the services? How do we deal with change orders or scope creep? Well, this business, it might be handled differently than this business. And then if you project that out, you might say, well, we literally run out of cash in 2023 if we scale the uh, staffing because we think and we're pretending it's the consultant. You know, like with this client of ours, they were literally like, if they just said, hey, and this, this owner started uh, 25 years ago and they really like being valued by the client. It's like so fine. But like, so they don't really get excited about the staffing, even though that meat grinder of just deploying people, third of them quitting, not showing up, and then doing that over and over and over again makes a lot of money. But like the money's not that guy's deal. So now it's like, how do we project this out to get the normalized EBITDA and the value that we want over the next one to four years so that way they could do an ESOP or do a private equity recap? Like, so it's very intentional, but we have to understand where the revenue and what the cost structure is going to be to get to the normalized EBITDA, to get to the end goal. And people don't think through it what kind of revenue, what kind of cost structure they need and how that translates into value. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're literally outlining exactly the conscious decisions we need to be making as, as what we've actually not officially decided, but we're, we're sort of leading that direction is we'll split the companies. Right now, they operate under the same LLC, but one of them is a management consulting practice focused on process improvement that is right now centralized around e-commerce. And the other is a staffing business where we focus on e-commerce roles. But the reality is we're also placing roles in lots of other industries as well. And we're actually seeing a lot of success. So, you know, when I think about, well, what's the value, what value are we creating here? One is the same company, let's say, let's say, and when I talk about like an exit for me, it's not about, it's exactly what you defined as I don't want to be entirely central to the business. I want to actually live a good life and I want to have the processes and the workflows and the personnel and everything in place so that I'm not, I can go on holiday if I wanted to for a month. I know I love what I do. So I don't know if I take a month off, but at least, you know, two weeks here and there and enjoy, you know, enjoy and also focus on more, more um, of the things that I want to be doing in the business. So let's pull that thread. So I would say a, a clearer way of saying it is you have two roles, Yanni. You, have, you are the owner of this financial asset that might be two financial assets, but mm-hmm. you have an equity stake. You were conflating your ownership with your management role. So your vacation has nothing to do with you owning a financial asset. Do you have to submit your time card to Apple to get, a, to get time off? No, it's a freaking investment. That's exactly how you should be thinking about your business. So like your time is tied to your job or your activities. And so like, honest to God, so like Arcona, we've been in business for two years. I mean, I've been doing lots of other things with other consulting. Uh, I call it my 1.0 version before I met my partner. And like our job for or our goal for 2021 is literally have a, enough free cash flow to have literally 50 to 60% of our time freed up to work on ownership financial allocation versus working in the business of the job but we're getting paid for the jobs that we're doing. So it's like splitting those two because it goes back to your original point of when you say the word exit or transition, what are we talking about? Are we talking about your job and your time? Or are we talking about your financial asset? Because you can literally sell part of your financial asset and keep your job. It's called an ESOP or your private equity recap. You can do different things depending on whether you're solving for your day-to-day job and leadership roles or the liquidity of your financial asset. Yeah, again, 
<laughs> super valuable things to consider. Um, you know, I'm, I've been looking at it from the standpoint as well of, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of companies that are talking about exit. And again, not that it's ever been a consideration or something that we're looking to do even right now, but it definitely has shifted my frame of, of consciousness as to, well, what's the perceived value from someone looking at the business as to the strategic decisions we're making internally. So right now we're going down the path of starting to build out technology. We're building technology for how to enable all that, all that team members are remote. So we're building things that are going to support our internal business, but also our clients businesses. And that becomes its own technology play to manage remote workflows and things like leave tracking. And, you know, it goes beyond like, you know, probably in line with a hub staff type thing, but to focus on different, different problems that, you know, that they, they're not solving because they're not going through our journey. And that's, again, I was talking about the classic journey of the founder, they solve a problem. And then they realize that, you know, I, I see all these people like, no, now they've got a technology company. That's just so interesting. And I'm just noticing that all these great service providers solve a problem typically with people. And then they realize, well, we could build a piece of technology and that could impact a whole lot more lives. And so uh, 100%. finding myself uh, going down that road, we've got now, you know, a bunch of full stack developers. We've got a technical project manager, UX UI designer, and we're just throwing like, you know, I wouldn't say the kitchen sink at it, but we're strategically, you know, moving our way into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way you're sort of laying out the points right now, it's just making me add another layer of consideration around not just the exit intent, but the cash flow business, the lifestyle. What do I actually need today to make life work versus two years from now, five years from now, like, you know, I did a, I did a, um, an exercise with Max course where it's called, he, he's, he's called it the great outcome. And inside of it, there's a whole lot of questions that you're asked, but one of them is like, what does your life look like three years from now? What's your marital status? What's your, you know, talk about your income. Have you had an exit, all these things. And so like, I'm sitting there and I wrote down like, you know, a stupid number around what I hoped my, uh, you know, my income would be. And then I'm like, oh, I'd love to have an exit maybe. And then I'm like, well, those two things are actually conflicting um, because the reality is in my current state, because I can't afford to pay myself, you know, the six figure salary. And then also expect that three years from now, you've sold a business here because I've got to make strategic decisions. So just hearing you lay it out the way you are is absolutely helping me in my consideration and my decision-making, but I'm sure anyone listening is probably going to be starting to think the same. Well, it's like, you know, you, you were earlier in the interview, you were talking about the question, why? And like, dude, I just go back to like, my kids are four and a half and like, I never ever want them to stop asking that question. Why, 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 why? Cause you have to answer it. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing and what the effect or implications of your decisions are going to be. And like the point of understanding these different parts and our, how I've created the, the principles or whatever anybody's using is like, if you can understand what you want in three or four years, not just some fictitious vision of like written on a piece of paper, like of like a paragraph, but like the specific numbers, the specific things that how the, and essentially what choices are you going to have by understanding the choices in three or four years, you can, I, I believe most, most business owners and entrepreneurs, if you understand that why in that context, dude, getting wake, waking up and getting punched in the face every single day by owning a company, you kind of know, you got to know why you're doing it and enjoy it because <laughs> it sucks sometimes. So by doing, by understanding the exit options or how you want your role to trans or to evolve over time or when and how you could get the return of the liquidity makes you excited to do the hard work today. Instead of waking up when people get bored and they're just like, you know what, I'm done. And it's because they don't have a thing that they're marching towards. And so I think to your point, if you just grow value, like pretty much 99% of the time that the people go through our training, the only thing they have to do is grow value. But they now know why and they're excited again because the big picture is clear and they can actually see how to connect the four-year plan to today versus going now I've got a clearer vision, but seriously, no idea how to get there. Because if the vision is just to go from 1.2 and EBITDA to 2 million to go from a $5 million valuation to 12, the goal is so that way you can have options in three or four years. And then you have choices and you have leverage. You can walk, you have truly choices versus waking up 
when you're truly burnt out going, I have no choices because the company is not worth what I want. I'm stuck in the business. And I've never, to this day, after 300 people going through our material in the last 12 months, when someone's not energetic and they're truly burnt out, good luck, man. There's no way, no dollar amount that can get them excited again to like their business from, from what I've seen. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can totally understand what that would feel like. I mean, it can be exhausting when you're the person who is answerable to the business and, you know, you're just sort of going through it day by day. You almost go through the, um, you go through the motions without a clear direction or, you know, you have your ups and your downs, but I would just say having, having some sort of underlying purpose. So, you know, like even taking it back to the exit decision, like, okay, I want to exit. I want to make X million dollars on that exit. And the reason is because yes, I want to have, I want to buy a house. And I also want to reinvest into my next startup and be able to bootstrap Mm -hmm. that. So I don't have to go down the investor route and say, right, I can still make all the decisions. I've got more money to play with now. I can make better decisions for the next business that I'm building. I'm not, you know, I'm 33 here. So I'm not sitting here saying I'm by any stretch of that. I'm just, I'm just warming up. Done. Yeah. So, and, and, and by the way, like a goal in my, I know we're going to probably get short on time here pretty soon. So let me know, but the, uh, there's no wrong decision. If it's intentional, it could be that you don't want to reinvest. And like, I've had people go through our training and they're like, you know what? I get, I get, there's one, this one gentleman, one and a half million dollar revenue recruiting business. And other e-commerce businesses, Amazon businesses, where they say, you know what? I actually don't want this to be, I don't need or want this to be worth $5 million in five years. So with that mindset, they're going, huh, if I'm making, I'm going to optimize for distributions. And then, you know, what happens is their anxiety of having to listen to all the other entrepreneurs around them, reinvest and grow and do this and build a Shopify. No, dude. I'm concerned about making a half million dollars so I can do whatever the hell I want and travel around the world. And I'm putting a chunk of that into savings with a wealth manager or investments with real estate or whatever you're doing to retire that way. And like it, but it's a decision. It's not what I like to call like the purgatory in between where they're just doing all the flashy spending, not using the lifestyle, but also hoping that the business is going to be worth $5 million. So they get neither. They don't get the lifestyle over the next five years and they don't get a company that's worth anything in five years. I mean, it just makes so much sense when you lay it out like that, why I see so many entrepreneurs miserable. Uh, And it's just because they're not making strategic decisions on why they're doing it. And I think that too many people wear the number of hours that they do for work as a badge of honor, as as a badge of honor. I mean, it's... That's crazy. At what point in time did someone say, I'm creating a business so that I can work 80 hours a week and be an absolute slave to it? I mean, I, I don't... You know, I, I know one of my, one of my best friends, I met him like five years ago. He owns a healthcare business. He had already sold it by the, he bought one when he was 21 with a hundred employees and sold it by the time he was 24. And this guy is like the millionaire next door. He drives like some like shitty Ford or some Kia or something like that. And like the dude, like before he started, like now he's got a purpose. So he's reinvesting for like, cause he found a reason why, but for like four years, he worked like five hours a week and he was like 30 and he's like, I don't know. I'm making a bunch of money because I hired a bunch of people to do all this stuff for me. And like, I don't know why you would want to work more. <laughs> like, that's Cause that's a good, good question. I mean, I, I, you know, twin, twin girls, four and a half years old, mate, that is like two full-time jobs in itself right there. You know, I can, I can understand why you make good decisions around optimizing your life to, you know, I'm, I'm, what you perceive as good decisions. I'm, I'm still skeptical whether I'm on the right track. We'll, we'll leave it there. Well, well, you're at least uh, making considerations and thinking about it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm that, trying, I'm trying. So that's, you know, that's at least, at least a couple of steps ahead of most people going through that journey and going through, you know, like I've got to say like the, the notion of the grind and like the hustle and all these things, like I fucking hate it. I hate that. I hate that topic. I hate that position. I just think that um, it's, I guarantee, you know, I I don't want to make outlandish statements here, but I would be surprised to find out that if I asked the question, if you asked the question to some of these people who are just around the clock working, is this what you want to be doing? Is this exactly where you want to be? I'd be very shocked to, to find 
all of them, or even, you know, maybe a handful of them. Some people are workaholics, so we'll give those workaholics that. Um, but I don't think workaholics usually are there by design, by that's what I really want to be doing. If they ask them the why. I could, couldn't agree with you more, man. And like, and then let's take the insane outlier of like a Bezos or Elon Musk. And you go, okay, like if you want to essentially sell your soul to the progression of humanity, like that's a noble cause, but there's going to be no room for anything else. And, and th- th- like, I'm not, I'm not one to judge, but like, I'm not jealous because I'm like, well, that's not what I want. I've got other priorities in life. And so I can't do that. And I'm okay with that. And so it's about saying like, here's given what's important to me, here's how to hold all that in balance and integrate it, not balance that I did a bunch of podcasts about time management balance. And it's like getting the same thing. It's all bullshit. Like, you're like, what do you integrate everything so that you, you we all have 168 hours a week, period. That's the great equalizer. What are you going to do with it? And what's important? It really is that simple. If you, you know, if you break it all down and you design your life to optimize for what your optimal life looks like, then everything sort of makes a whole lot of sense. And, you know, just to bring it back to what we were talking before about Gino and traction. I mean, that's really like in a very sort of microcosm of like, right, what I want to achieve in this period of time, how do I bring it, break it down to the lowest common denominator? How do I track it week on week and make sure that everyone in my team and their team's teams are working on their rocks, their 90 day goals and their personal ones and how they get there and everything sort of ladders up. So I think that the biggest learning that I take from a, this conversation and also a lot of the conversations that I've been having lately is that how do you design your life optimally for as far into the future that is realistic for you to even consider? And then how do you work backwards? And from that, every decision should be, is this making my life better? Yes. No. If no, then don't, don't do it. So what, what did your, uh, what did your question that you asked yourself? What was the answer? How do you do that? Yeah. Um, tough one, tough question, because for me, I looked at it as what are the things that I'm good at? What are the things that I'm not good at? What are the things that I'm passionate about? And so, you know, I sort of went down this list of like, well, I want to be able to travel, you know, I mean, this year is a bit of a messed up year for travel, but in general, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be able to travel three, four times a year and actually take time off. I wanted to be able to go and visit, you know, my parents and my family in Australia once a year. I want to get it over to the US at least three, four times a year because I absolutely love it. And, you know, work is also central to, you know, the, the, the people that I work. So I sort of started working backwards like that. And then I thought, well, what do I really love doing? And, you know, it might sound a little bit uh, lofty, but I love the creative problem solving aspect, which I think is like, you know, that is an entrepreneur is that mm-hmm. I want to solve bigger and bigger problems. And I want to find leverage to not do the sort of trivial and banal tasks that typically bog the, you know, that, that most people down. And so how do I continue to sort of work backwards? So I'm still at an interesting stage. Like my business partner and I were super aligned and we're super passionate about sort of the technology play and you know we're both um you know pretty motivated hungry and switched on guys and we have really we have complementary skills and an amazing chemistry and so we're sort of working through together like how do we get there you know if i look back and i said you know earlier on we built the business because we saw a gap in the market and an opportunity and we quickly grew that to a multi-million dollar business in 18 months but now it's like well we've got 140 people on staff. If we keep growing at this trajectory, we're going to be at like 300 or so at the end of the year. And then there's, you know, all this other, like, is that the reality that I want to live? And if it is, well, how do I put the pieces in place to have it managed so that, you know, my job is the job that I love doing and not the job that I have to do. And what is that? What does that look like? So I haven't really given you the answer that you asked, but I'm still trying to figure out what you did is you, you start in you're on track. It's like, you got to articulate it. That was, I mean, like you got, like, you got to know what you want. Like, and you, and you started talking about it, right? which is okay. And like, I think people think that that's a waste of time, but like, what's the whole, it's the freaking um, quote uh, from Gandhi or Yogi Berra. If you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. Or whatever the hell it is, I just yep. butchered it. I yeah, yeah, but but, it, but, like, the, but the point like, you know, it's, the point is there though. The point is there. Right, it, right. You know, it's like fail to plan, plan to fail. 
Right. And like, here's the issue that I have had with EOS because I love Gino and I love his system. I'm in the hotbed. Like there's like three or 4,000 companies in the Twin Cities running EOS. So like it's everywhere. And they assume that you know what you want and why when you put it on your BTO. And guess what? Most business owners have never sold a business, so they don't know how the end goes. So there's the blind leading the blind everywhere. And like the only way you can truly reverse engineer the plan is you have to understand what the pieces look like at the end. The only way to understand that is to actually educate yourself. Like there's otherwise the advisors are going to slowly be telling you you're going to through every interaction over the next five or 10 years, you're going to slowly learn more about what you want. Talk to this advisor, talk to that person, have this situation, have this partnership dispute, have this situation out of the blue offer, have to reinvest in inventory over here. And you're slowly going to learn what you want versus sitting down and going, I'm going to learn this shit now. <laughs> so that way, every decision that comes at me, I can go puzzle piece. Does it fit? Nope. It goes over here to this puzzle. And then you're just doing that instead of just flopping around like a fish out of water, man. I see it every day. Oh, you're on mute. So, so I was saying, you said it, not me, um, EOS. I think it's an amazing framework for, um, for getting your business in order, right? So, yeah, so it's, your business, so, meetings, so it's, accountability. It's great. It's, you know, it's great for that. And even uh, Peyton, when I was having a chat with him and we were talking about the consulting practice and, you know, he's like saying, yeah, absolutely. You need to work with businesses like Escala to actually build out what do those SOPs look like? What is the actual mm -hmm. process flows? How do you map it out? He even, you know, also like us, it's a great fundamental tool, but without that end outcome and that, that vision and that direction and actually understand. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not the be all and end all. It's, it's an amazing framework but it solves, you know, one, one, one big piece of the puzzle for a lot of people, yeah, which is get, sure. get your shit together. Make sure you have real meetings with real people that are real jobs that do the real work that you hired them to do. Then hold them accountable with the real KPIs and everybody be grownups. I mean, I'm being a little harsh right now, but like, cause it's great. And by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll we weren't running EOS and we had all the problems that EOS could have solved, but we still should have done some work. Cause like it, to figure out what do you want? Why the amount of people that pick rocks that don't know whether that hundred thousand dollar ERP implementation is going to grow value or not right time, right place. Like, so wouldn't it be nice to have a lens of like, Hey, this investment of this time and resources are going to grow value towards a direction that we want. So I think it's just, so it's great. Like you said, it's just about understanding how these different components fit then putting them together yourself. And pretty much the end of the day, the owner and the entrepreneur, the buck stops there. They're responsible for everything. And you can't hire out someone else telling you what you want and why and what success looks like for you. Yeah. I mean, very, very eloquently put there. And I think that um, you, you make a, you make a really good point about that decision-making and it's the blind leading the, the blind here around that specific topic. You haven't gone through a liquidity event an exit an IPO, all these things you're going through it for the first time. And so um what you've done and your whole position is you've had 250 episodes plus the mentors, plus the advisors, plus the conversations with all these incredible people. You've invested in yourself and you have been able to build out this framework, leveraging your personal experiences, all these insights. So, you know, you are, you're, you're woke, you're enlightened when it comes to, um, when it comes to actually understanding, like, why am I doing all of this? Whereas most people haven't invested the time. And I feel very grateful that while I'm a far cry from where you're at, you're actually helping people move through this process. And when I, when I end this recording, the next conversation we're going to have is how do I get more involved? Because you, you really speak my language here, but, um, is you've done the work you've done the work to understand the considerations and that you know again you want to take more cliche sayings knowledge is power you know and then what what, what does it go Yanni? it's like knowledge is power but then wisdom is actually applying it and the the problem is is that there's a lot of people out there you get their value builder certification their exit planning certification this and that i'm like you've never ran a business man or a woman or like it like I, I just there has to be a little bit of like i've been there done that or got people around me and then people that don't have a very, very high motivation to lead you to a certain outcome, whether it's selling a product or service or buying your company or investing in your company or whatever it is, like 
you know, have the lens of like, where's the advice coming from? And then how do you learn so that way you can, because again, I think we all to put the bow on it is, I think we all start businesses to have that freedom and control over the decision-making and we're trying to get it back. And unfortunately, you know, EOS can get you more time by organization, but like you have to understand these things. So then you can eliminate the anxiety of knowing exactly how to progress you towards the vision that you originally had instead of waking up knowing that you're far away and burnt out. Yeah, I mean, mate, the, the value that I've gotten on a personal level from this session would, yeah, I don't even rival it. I, I would probably almost comfortably say this has been the most valuable hour that I've spent uh, in the nearly, you know, 40, 40 plus hours uh, I've been recording. Um, just amazing. And on that note as well, I'd love to get you back on because, you know, I feel like we're just scratching the surface and yeah. I mean, this is what you do. You, man. Day, this is what you do. <laughs> day in day. Yeah. You tell me to shut up sometimes. No, no, <laughs> mate, keep it coming. But on that note, I will tell you to shut up this time just because I do have to jump on another call. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, Ryan, it's been incredible having another opportunity to sit down and, and chat with you. I know that, like I said, I got a ton of value out of this and there's absolutely no way that people who choose to tune in and listen to this will, will not experience the same value because I mean, I could write a whole, I don't even, I could write a book on the show notes as to the, the different values, but effectively you can help people get through this. So before I do let you go, how do people get in touch with you and how do people actually leverage all this wisdom that you have in helping them make better decisions for their, their life and their life in business? So the easiest place is the website, Arcona, A-R-K-O-N-A.io. And uh, there's some videos on there that explain our process and the framework. So there's training. So there's an online training that they can uh, look at and we get the curriculum up there. The podcast tab has got all the podcast episodes. And then there's also um, a download where we got this lead magnet and you fill out your, your email address. I swear we only sent you five emails, which are five videos that explain the process. And then once people go through the training, we have fractional CFO services and strategic planning. And that's how to get in touch with us, man. The, the goal is that people, you know, they need to understand and they need to trust and because people need to be ready to learn, right? Like you can't force anybody. So this has to be a desire that people want. So the website's the best place. Amazing. And that's honestly the exact needs that we have right now is that we've got, you know, we've got a financial controller. We need a fractional CFO. We need to make- I thought it was make... your pops, man. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We don't have enough time to go down that. <laughs> sorry, dad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, they can take you so far, right? We fight too much, don't we? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, you want to get someone who's going to be more serious and, and dealing with this in the day-to-day -day as rather than just a side geek and a hobby. But mate, seriously, it's been... Uh, it's been a privilege having you here and uh, I, yeah, can't, can't thank you enough. So yeah, I'll let you know when it is, but uh, realistically, let's, let's set up the next one because I would love to have you back. Yeah. Yeah. So shoot me the, the link. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, my friend. <laughs>